So we want this to be more casual, which is why we're sitting in these chairs, because we are not seminary-trained theologians. Uh, we are just Jesus-loving, people-serving folk. Um, so we just want it to be a little more natural and laid back and casual. Um, which, by the way, my husband maybe took a little too seriously with the casual because I had my half of the sermon planned out weeks ago. And do you have yours at all? I thought you were going to write my half too. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I guess we'll see. So anyway, I'm going to give the first half of it and kind of give you the background on us um, and who we are, where we came from, and just a little bit of our story. And then Mike's going to kind of launch into, um, oh, there we go. So a little bit about your new children's ministry directors. So a little background. Mike grew up here in Klamath Falls as a pastor's kid. There he is. And I grew up overseas as a missionary kid in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. Um, we met overseas. <laughs> we were so wee back then. Um, and my family kind of pretty much adopted Mike um, before we even started dating. I just, I got to interject. I'm the one on the far <laughs> left on that. Just to be clear on that. <laughs> and after that, pretty much the rest is history. Um, so we went to Senegal a year after we got married. And we served with the international school there, Dakar Academy. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dakar Academy and what we were doing before we came here. So DA's vision statement says that Dakar Academy exists to partner in the advancement of the kingdom of God through serving missionary families by providing education services for their children. And that was basically uh, the gist of what we were doing is we were both involved in education. Um, our annual enrollment of kids was about 200, so we were small, K through 12, and about 70% of them were missionary kids, or MKs is the shortened version of that. Um, that means about 140 kids at the school each year had parents that were actively invested in advancing the kingdom of God in Africa. We had MKs from Senegal, Mali, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, the Gambia, Liberia, Cote d'Ivoire, the Congo, and other closed countries. Basically, what we were doing was we were involved in the school, and if the school wasn't there and providing a quality education for these kids, these families would really, their ministry would really have been hindered. So we felt like we were really uh, support roles for missionaries all over West Africa. So, those were all our prayer cards that you saw. They were popping up and our, our family was growing a little by little. During our time at DA, Mike taught elementary, middle school, high school, was in charge of marketing, led the elementary department as principal, and was the head sound guy. I was the school librarian, uh, taught part-time kindergarten, mentored students, um, coached varsity girls soccer, taught creative writing, and played on the worship team, which I'm hoping in a couple weeks I'll be able to be up here joining the worship teams as well. I'm excited about that. And together, we coached soccer, mentored students, were class sponsors, ran various sports clubs like Ultimate Frisbee, and volunteered and led the outreach program. So that's just a little history of what we were doing um, in Senegal the last 12 years. And you kind of get the picture. We just, we have a real passion for ministry and a real heart for kids. 
So in two th this, this is a little part of our story that I feel like is really important. In 2014, we had a pretty abrupt change in plans when our daughter Kylie was born. And she was born with complications. We had her in Senegal. Um, and she was born with Pierre-Robin sequence, which is basically a cleft palate inside her mouth, the roof of her mouth, and a small jaw. And she had major problems with breathing and eating as soon as she was born. It's possible some of you may have even heard through the Body of Christ grapevine about this missionary couple with their first child that was born who had to be medevaced to Germany four days after Kylie was born. That's a picture of us inside of the, um, what was the... The plane called? The air ambulance. The air ambulance, yes, on our way to Germany. So that was our first family photo on our way to Germany. And it was a pretty dramatic tale involving being whisked away with our daughter to a country where we had no knowledge of the language or culture or knew anybody there. Uh, this was our first child, so this was um, very uh, exciting and very scary for us. We didn't really know what we were doing, where we would live. Um, how long we would be there or anything else and basically we just boarded the plane and chased our medically fragile daughter into the unknown we didn't know what was going to come of this but as the body of Christ is prone to do it wasn't long before that same grapevine spread the word about our predicament and we were met at the hospital by some missionaries we don't even know which degrees of separation they knew who they knew, who we knew, that was in common. They just showed up and they took us into their home um, and for the month that we were there. Um, I would have been allowed to stay in the hospital as the mother, but Mike had nowhere to stay. So we were very grateful that we had somewhere to live and they um, transported us everywhere. They helped us with language, they helped feed us. Um, they basically took in us vagabond missionaries um, and really just provided for us and showed us uh, the love of Christ in a really phenomenal way. We are really, really grateful. We call them Kylie's Honorary Oma and Opa, which is German for Grandma and Grandpa. So we were still stranded in this foreign country, though. So we had no way to get out. We had pretty much maxed out our insurance, so we had no way to get back to either Senegal or the US. So we were trying to figure out what was next and how we would get her home. And once again, our brothers and sisters in Christ stepped up monumentally. Uh, we knew our full dependence was in the Lord, but we continued to revel at the catchphrase, which Mike coined uh, like two days after Kylie was born called, he said, watch what God does next and he continued to amaze us. And astound us in providing everything we needed from supernatural peace that passes understanding to natural provisions such as finances and friends and acquaintances in the medical field. And it wasn't long before you'll see there on the far right, um, oh no, sorry, in the middle, that is Jeannie and she is a Mayu Clinic NICU nurse that flew out to Germany and helped us transport our daughter back. And you can see on the far right, she's wearing her pulse ox monitor because we had to keep track of her breathing and our heartbeat and all this kind of stuff throughout the whole flight. So we took a commercial flight, which we could afford, back to the US. And we landed in Portland. We ended up at OHSU and found out very promptly through a sleep study that Kylie's struggle to breathe was wildly concerning. Uh, our doctor told us 
that for a person to experience five sleep apneas in a night is very concerning, and Kylie had more than 300 in a night. So we were really concerned that this would cause brain damage for her or, or she would um, die in her sleep. So we found out pretty quickly that she's less than two months old now. She needed a mandibular distraction surgery, which is, it sounds pretty brutal. Uh, it's basically where they break her jaw and they put these plates in it. Uh, and every day they have these screws in the back of her jaw and they have to twist them and pull her jaw out a little more and a little more for about two weeks every day, twice a day. Um, but we could see that her, her breathing changed immediately. She could start breathing. Um, and we were so grateful that she could breathe. Eventually, Kylie learned how to eat with a special bottle because she still had her cleft palate. Um, and she was detubed. Uh, she had all kinds of tubes hanging on her for quite a long time to help her eat and a pick line to help her with fight infections and all these things, even when we took her home from the hospital. But eventually she was detubed and we were able to take her back, our little fighter back to Senegal with us. You have that one, Sonia, the little, where she went back to Senegal. Oh, there she is with her tubes. So that was us um, feeding her with her NG tube and then the next one with going back to Senegal. Okay, there she is. So, um, since then, Kylie's had to have five surgeries in five years um, for her jaw, to fix her jaw and her cleft palate. Uh, she's our little miracle baby, though, who brought us a lot closer to God and where we really learned to depend solely on him through this process. Uh, and we've had to do that again in many different seasons of our life and even during this new season um, after leaving the mission field and coming here. But I want to talk about the main thing that continues to stand out to me throughout our lives, and this principle that keeps coming up is that no matter what season you are in, no matter what trauma you are experiencing, no matter how good or bad or challenging or joyful or confusing or anxious or full of depression or despair or unbalanced your life seems, it all comes back to the basics, our foundation. James 1, 3 through 4 says, For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Here's the thing, though. That faith that is tested has to be built on a pretty steady foundation for when trying times hit. I'm so grateful for parents and other adults in my life that helped me form that foundation. I had to form it for myself, but they helped hand me the bricks for it. I remember when I was little and I'd wake up in the mornings and I'd see my mom on the couch every morning reading the Word of God. And that made an impression on me as a child. I knew that that was important. I remember watching my dad at night praying with us and getting lost in worship. He's a worship pastor. And you can tell he just gets lost in worship. And it made an impression on me. I also remember how he would treat how people he would treat people with undeserved kindness, patience, and grace when they were not treating him the same. And we all know that's the cost of being a Christian, and especially a Christian leader. That we are called to represent Jesus in what we say and how we act and how we treat others and so forth. But I watched my parents and my teachers and countless other adults in my life that mentored me 
not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And when they didn't act perfectly, because none of us do, we're human and we're fallen, I watched them respond with remorse and sincerity and genuineness that defied the natural. I will say that not every adult in my life was the supreme example of Christ-like love, but a lot of them were. And as a child, when I was taking this all in and determining if faith really did make a difference, I took note of how it made a difference in their lives. And brick by brick, I began to lay a foundation for my faith as a child, and I later realized was fundamental in my faith as an adult. You want to take it from here? Oh, it's my turn. Thanks. Um, as we look at the opportunities that we have, uh, Mindy and I have, in children's ministry here at KCC, we want to spend a little time this morning sharing some of our vision with the hopes that you will not only agree with us, but join us in it. And this is not a pitch for you to sign up for Sunday school, although some of you should. Uh, it's something which we hope every adult in this church body takes ownership of, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays and during programs, but every day, every time you have a chance to encounter a child. There are three points to our message today. The first, Mindy laid out for us already, and that is that foundation matters. Foundation comes first, doesn't it? If you're a builder, you know that the foundation is so, so important. Last week, we got news that Mindy's parents' house on the panhandle of Florida got a direct hit from Hurricane... Sally. Sally hit dead on, and their, their house is on the water. And so we, whenever that happens, we watch and we wait and we pray, and we just hope that the house stands through it. And in this, this case, the bottom floor of the house did get washed away for the most part, but the foundation was firm and the house stood. And so there's cleanup to be done, but the house is still there because the foundation was strong. I don't know if... Um, I just think it's a great metaphor though, isn't it? When a foundation is, is poured by bricks or by cement and when we think about children and we think about foundation, we realize children are moldable. Their cement is wet. We can do, we can, we can help with laying that foundation at that time. As we age, the cement hardens. The likelihood of change diminishes. Think about if you're married and sitting next to your spouse, think about right now trying to convince them to do anything different. It doesn't, it's so hard, isn't it? Right? Hey, okay. Um, when I was, uh, I think I was in college, I came back here for a summer and I worked with a construction company here and we poured a foundation on a, a house up there on, I think up on near Knob Hill. And it was literally the hardest day of work that I've ever had in my entire life. Because we had the forms all set, and we brought the cement truck in, and we just started dumping that cement. And you just have a limited amount of time. You've got to haul. You've got to scramble. It's urgent. Didn't have time for a snack. Didn't have time for a break. Didn't have time to go to the bathroom that day. We just had to get that foundation poured and set before it set in. And there was an urgency to it. And I think that's applicable to... Uh, our time with children who are also very moldable. There's a group called the Barna Group, which does surveys and, and collects data uh, about Christian things. And they did a survey in 2004 uh, to see at what age most Christians 
uh, committed their lives to Christ. And I'm kind of curious to see if the data holds up. So this is optional, but if you're willing, if, if you think about if, you're, if you are following Christ, if you made a decision at some point in your life to follow Christ, think about how old you were when you did that. If you're willing to raise your hand, please do. If you'd rather just keep it to yourself. I understand. That's okay. But for any of you who made a commitment to follow Christ before the age of 13, would you want to raise your hand? Would that be okay? All right. Keep your hands up if that's okay. How about by 18? Add anybody else by the time you were 18. Okay. Keep your hands up. How about 21 by the time you were 21? All right. I think that's, wow. Okay. There's a lot of hands up. You can put them down. Barna Group concluded that 43% of believers made the decision to follow Christ before the age of 13. An additional 21% by 18, and another 13% by 21. So that actually adds up to 77% of Christians made the decision by the age of 21. And I think that actually probably held up just now in this room, if you looked around. Faith is often formed early on. Foundation matters, and children are often the ones who build that and set it and, and set that trajectory for their lives. We want to build that foundation in children here so that when they face storms later on, they'll survive them. And that's not just in our Sunday school programs, lest the pressure all fall on us. We want that to be something that we all take part in, a whole approach church-wide, interacting with children all the time. So we'll talk about a little bit about how we can all do that. We hope you support that. <laughs> we hope you take part in it. Um, and, and because of the second point that I'm about to bring up. Now, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to get too controversial today. Uh, but I'm going to say something a little controversial today. So hold on to your seats. Maybe get your rotten tomatoes ready, because here's my second point for you today. Ready? Children matter. <gasps> right? Whoa. Whoa, controversy. No, of course that's not controversial. No, nobody's going to disagree with me out loud, right? But that said, that priority is not, often, not always championed, even in the church. I was reading a book a few weeks ago in preparation for this, and there was a story in that book about a little girl who was at uh, a revival meeting, and the preacher was giving, giving the gospel message and giving an, a chance to respond, and he said, would anyone like to make a commitment tonight to follow Christ? And she'd been ready, and she'd been waiting, and she shot her hand up and raised her hand and was eager to make that step. And the preacher scanned the room. Anyone? anyone? And he looked right past her and kept going, anyone? And then he closed the session without, without actually praying the prayer because she was just a child and he was looking for adults. There's another story from a different book I read, and I'm, I want to read this verbatim because it's, I think it's really good. It's about D.L. Moody, who's, well, let me just read it. It says, late one evening, D.L. Moody, the premier American evangelist of the 1800s, arrived home from speaking at a meeting. Emma, his wife, had already fallen asleep. As her exhausted husband climbed into bed, she rolled over and murmured, so how did it go tonight? Pretty well, he replied. 
two and a half converts. His life lay silently. His wife lay silently for a moment, pondering his response, and then finally smiled. That's sweet, she replied. How old was the child? No, 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 Moody said. It was two children and one adult. The children have their whole lives in front of them. The adult's life is already half done. When you heard two and a half, and I'm not trying to con condemn you or convict you, but how many of you thought two adults and one kid, two and a half, right? Children matter. Our tendency to overlook children as second class or afterthoughts or simply the future is not uncommon. They don't vote. They don't otherwise have a voice. They depend on adults constantly. They don't know how to do much yet. So I don't think we intentionally devalue them, but it's undeniable that children are often only considered for their eventual potential and not for their value right now. And yet, how does Jesus feel about children? Mark 10. If you want to go there, uh, you're welcome to. Mark 10, 13. I'll read this scripture for you, though. Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom, uh, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. It's four verses, but it's a powerful picture of how Jesus felt about children. He was indignant. That's a, that's a strong word. It means expressing strong displeasure at something considered unjust, offensive, or insulting. Think about this. He, Jesus is sitting around with grown-ups, and they're having grown-up conversations. They're talking about divorce and who is the greatest, who is going to be the greatest, and all these grown-up things. And these kids keep coming by and interrupting. And the disciples, who are trying to, you know, keep the show on the road, intervene and say, stop that, stop that. We're talking about important things here. Go away, kids. And Jesus is indignant. He says, stop. This is my priority right here. I think that's powerful. I actually picture one of my own kids being that kid and, and interrupting in that way. And I don't know if you can do that with a, a child that's in your own lives that you can picture. Imagine them sitting in Jesus' lap. Wow. And having him put his arms around them and just delighting in them. That's a powerful picture. Matthew 18 describes the same story, the same, uh, the same setting, and adds in Matthew 18:6, Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa, <laughs> that is convicting. And I know that actually applies to me. It does. I've, I've done that with my own kids and with other kids that I've been in ministry with because I forget the focus. I forget the priority. And so that to me is convicting. 
By the way, if you're feeling convicted, like like super convicted, that's not our intent, and we're gonna we're gonna address that in just a minute because the timing of this message is a little tricky because of COVID and the extra pressures that we are all facing when it comes to children. So, if you're starting to feel rumblings of offense, please hold that because that's not our intent here. But I do want to just add on to that a little bit further in Matthew in Matthew 21. It's just a couple chapters later. Um, I, I don't know exactly chronologically how much later, but it's the triumphal entry, okay? This is Jesus getting on the donkey, riding into Jerusalem, and everybody freaking out because the Messiah has come, and they're so excited about this long-anticipated arrival. And what are they? They're, they're screaming in the, in the streets, right? They're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And a little bit further down in that chapter... In verse 15, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? So Jesus quotes Psalm 8-2 at this point, and I, I can just picture that grin on his face. He's like, yeah, I, I hear what they're saying. And he delights again in these children. I hope I made that point clear. Children matter. They matter now. They matter to us. They matter to Jesus. So what do we do about this? This is where I want to talk to you, those of you who are sitting there thinking, yeah, I know children matter. That's all I do. And, and I'm talking to myself here as a, a father of three children, having been with them all the time over the last six months because of COVID and having to make every decision based on the impact that they have because they're with me. I, I, don't, I don't get a break. And so children matter, yeah. I can't get away from them. Well, some of us are looking forward to getting back to normal, aren't we? We're looking forward to school. We're looking forward to play dates and all those other things. But I want to tell you guys that are, that are in the boat with us that what you are doing is really important, and it's really valuable, and you should be proud of the, the, the privilege and the ability to do this. Uh, it's not just an inconvenient phase. It's kingdom work. What we do and how we do it is seen and stored by the children in our lives. And that's not to say that we sugarcoat everything and make them blissfully unaware of all the hardships that are happening right now. But when we incur, encounter hardships, how do we encounter them? How do we respond? Do we blame a wrathful God who's punishing us? Do we lament a deadbeat God who's just not paying attention? Because kids will pick up on that. Do we acknowledge instead that these hard times are actually opportunities for him to reveal more about who he is and who we are in him? Kids are watching, and they'll respond to it. They'll, they'll notice that, like Mindy mentioned, how she saw that in her parents. What you are doing now matters, and we applaud you for the incredibly valuable work you are doing. Sometimes we all need a reminder or a perspective shift 
Don't look at children as an inconvenience that we put up with, as just a necessary investment in the future. Yeah, it's hard now, but it'll be worth it if we just endure it. Remember that Jesus said that not only do children matter now, but that we should strive to be like them. And then he stopped what he was doing, and he took time to delight in them. That's my third point, by the way. Jesus wants us to be like children. That point is so important, I want more time to tell you about it, and so maybe Scott will let me do this another time. We'll push that one down the road a little bit if I can try this again. So we'll, we'll hold off on that one, but it's a really good one. For me, this is important to realize because I will nine million times a day have a kid tugging at my leg saying, Daddy, Daddy, pay attention to me. And more often than not, I'm really wanting to do this grown-up thing that is super important to me. Well, if I look at how Jesus responded, I need to be a lot more aware of what my child is, is wanting and decide, is it really that important that I get this grown-up thing done, or is it maybe more important that I take the time to delight in my child? Another thing that we can do collectively is we can defend children. For me, for us, it's our job to ask, what about the children? But I would love it if we all, in any decision that we make in society and church and our families, ask the question, what about the children? They don't have a voice, so we need to be their voice for them and think about the impact of what we do and how that will impact them. Another thing we can do is we can honor the frontline workers, those people who are daily helping and serving children, whether it be a teacher, daycare worker, a parent, a grandparent, a neighbor, anybody who's doing that. And that's not to take away from the other frontline workers like medical staff and, and police and firefighters who all also deserve honor as well. But we need, to, we need to respect that. We need to honor those people. And we need to make sure that we're clear to somebody who feels stuck taking care of kids that that is a noble thing that they're doing. It's important and it's valuable and we all value it. Another thing we can do is help. Sunday school is coming. I do need help. I'll be contacting some of you. But if you're interested in that kind of investment, we want, it, we want to partner with you. And that's, we're excited about getting that off the ground sometime soon. Maybe it's a neighbor who you know is struggling. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, the, the, fire, the fires that ripped through the area. There's right now on Facebook circulating a GoFundMe, uh, a, a page of the top 100 GoFundMe campaigns that are underfunded. And a lot of them are families with children. And you can go there and you can contribute. You can financially support some of these families that are hurting. Think outside the box. How can you encourage someone who might be going under, who might be drowning? I know we can't do the things that we normally do, but there are lots of ways we can encourage both the children and the caregivers as well. And the last thing that I want to leave us with is a concept called just a minute. I want us to all recognize that every single person, no matter what relationship you have with a child, whether they're your blood, your, your kin, or it's just a kid that you happen to pass by in the grocery store, you have a, the potential to change a child's life in just a minute. And I want to try this. We don't have time to share these, but I want to try this. I want you all to think back to your childhood. It's a little further back for some of us than others. But think back to your childhood and see if you can identify a time in your life where one minute by one adult changed everything. 
I'm going to just pause for a second while you think about that. See what comes to mind. See what the Lord brings to mind. I'm willing to bet everybody can find a minute where an adult did something. Unfortunately, tragically, some of those minutes are devastatingly damaging. But a lot of them are really encouraging. I, the first one that came to mind, it was really a random one, but it was my Uncle Steve is my mom's sister's husband. When I was like five, he took me and my cousins out to a park, and we were all playing, and when he came back to the, the family, he, he just shouted out, he says, everybody, listen, I want you all to know that Michael ran at the park like I've never seen anyone run before. He runs like someone had taught him how to do it. I was like five, and I remember that to this day, 36 years later, I remember my Uncle Steve saying that I could run, and it changed my life because I still remember it now. That, that confidence, that, 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 in, that um, secondhand compliment where he not only told me, but he told everyone else, I was just beaming, and my, my self-esteem just soared, and I remember that. Mindy gave a lot of examples of those just-a-minute moments from her life as well. So... Take, keep that in mind. It's not just about good doctrine, even though we really do want to teach our children good doctrine and make sure that they, they understand that with their foundation. It's not about exciting programs, although we will offer those. Children look at all of us far more than re we realize to teach them the meaning of life and of love and of God and of everything. And so whether you do it intentionally or whether it's an accident, the way that you live your life has the potential to change a child's life forever. So there's your assignment. I'm, an, I'm a teacher, so there's your assignment. If you, if you agree that children matter, if you have just a minute, spend it investing in their present and possibly their entire future. Does that all make sense? Do you think, is there anything else to add? <sighs> so powerful and and we want to also say that um it sounds like we have our act together and that we're doing this parenting thing I and mean, we're not super parents this is as much a message to us who work with kids as the directors of the ministry children's ministry as well as parents um that what we're doing is important and that kids are important so we're preaching to ourselves as well so i just want to let you know that we aren't like have our act completely and totally together. But we just want to encourage you in that. And I don't know, I feel inspired um, and, and excited and passionate about that. Um, and if you're wondering, like me, what you can do during this challenging season to further the kingdom of God, um, we have a mission field right here. Yes, thank you. We can all make a difference in the life of a child. And by teaching them the word of God, yes, but also just by being an example of Christ-like love to them and to those around us. My turn? Yep. All right. Uh, worship team, you guys can come back up. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer, and then we will sing one more song. Thank you guys for your attention. I hope it was helpful and you, uh, you got something out of it. Appreciate it. This was fun for us. All right. I'm going to.